Okay, we finished last week's Parsha with the Korbanot of the Nisi'im. And this week's Parsha starts with the command to Aaron to light the menorah. And the Medrash and Rashi, bringing the Medrash, they're bothered about the connection. So Rashi brings a Medrash, which is also quoted by the Ramban, and the Medrash says that Aaron, after he saw all of the Nisim bringing all these korbanos, all of these sacrifices, and Aaron lohi krivim hanisim, and Aaron wasn't asked and didn't bring anything to the Mishkan. So Hayomer oily, maybe something's wrong. We were left out from the korbanos. Don't don't worry. You're destined for even a higher level than the korbanos. Therefore, it says you're destined for a greater level. And the Medrash gives a couple of reasons why, what's greater. And one of them that it says is, the korbonos calls mancha beis hamikdash kayim heim noagim. The korbonos, when there's a mishkan, when there's a beis hamikdash, we have korbonos. No beis hamikdash, no mishkan, no korbonos. Aval neiros, what, what does the menorah represent? Le'olam elmul pnei ha-menorah ya'iru. The menorah is going to be illuminating forever. And in the question that the Ramban asks and other before Shim, the menorah is also not forever. As long as when there's no Mishkan, when there's no Beis HaMikdash, there's no menorah. So we have to know what the menorah represents. The Ramban tells us that the menorah represents Torah. That the menorah represents something that's connected to the second Beis HaMikdash, which is connected to Hanukkah, which is something that's going to be illuminating for the Jewish people forever. The Medrash, when it talks about the menorah, it talks about illumination. And it's HaKadosh Baruch Hu telling the Jewish people, there's a psukim, go and illuminate the world in front of me. And the Jewish people say, what are you talking about? You are the Oro Shel Olam. You're the illuminator of the world. What can we do? And HaKadosh Baruch response is, I want you to bring, the. You, it's through you that the light of the divinity, which is Torah, that gets, that gets brought into the world. Ner mitzvah, the Torah or. It's the Torah that's going to be the illuminator and that is through the menorah, which is why lighting the menorah was considered a higher level than the korbanos themselves. The, in the Gomorrah, in the Ner Mitzvah of the Torah Or, so the Gomorrah talks about korbanos being replaced with tefillah, and 
a mitzvah, and the Maral talks about this in his introduction to Pirkei Avos, in the Pasuk, Ner Mitzvah, the Torah Or, that a mitzvah has limited impact. A mitzvah is limited in time, while you're doing the mitzvah. It's limited in space and through material, because you have to do it with your physicality. Whereas Torah is Or, Torah is the illumination, it's transcendent and it's eternal. The, one of the things about the korbanos is that it was replaced with tefillah, and tefillah has the same limitations, and if you want to get something shocking, the Gemara in one place compares tefillah and Torah by calling tefillah chaye sha'a, and Torah chaye olam. Tefillah is it's a limited activity, Torah somehow or other is an eternal transcendent activity. We have to appreciate the power of Limut Torah, what it does for us. And if there's a takeaway from this shmuz, it's the lesson of the last hundred, hundred and fifty years, hundred years of Jewish history, but really certainly post-World War II, is that cities and communities that had mitzvah-observant Jews without some fundamental structure of serious limut Torah, those communities just dissipated. And the communities that had serious limut Torah, they thrived. Uh, I have a friend who moved to Los Angeles a few years after me. He moved to Los Angeles in the middle 70s. When I grew up in Los Angeles, there was very, very little serious Limut Torah. The only extra Limut Torah that we had in the, as university students was what in those days was called the draft-dodging yeshiva. It was the Vietnam War, and you could get a deferment as a university student. It was called a 2S. And as they were running out of draftees, so they started a lottery. They realized we're going to have to draft some university students. There's not enough soldiers being drafted who are not university students. So they created a lottery. What's the lottery? Birthdays. So they put 365 pieces of paper into a pot, and they started drawing out dates from January 1st to December 31st. And the way that they dra- they draw drew out the lots, that those were the people whose birthday they got called first. So if you had a 2S and you were born in one of the dates that came up early in the lottery, you were very likely to be drafted. Well, a lot of Orthodox Jews didn't want to be drafted. And one of the deferments, besides the 2S, was for college students was a 4D. It was called it was called a D because it was a divinity draft, a deferment. Now it was started for authentic um, uh, theological colleges, Christians, Catholics, and real yeshivas that were training rabbis. Uh, a rabbi, by the way, during World War, during already in World War II, was exempt, could get a deferment. So they had a deferment for divinity students. So what ended up happening in Los Angeles was a night course through Yeshiva University, which was expanding to Los Angeles. 
And that was basically the, se- the only serious Limitor. It was Sunday, and I don't remember if it was once a week at night or twice a week at night. I went. Um, so I don't remember if it was once or twice, but it was on Sunday morning. And we got a 4D deferment. That was basically the extent of Limut Torah when I was growing up in Los Angeles. My f- colleague and friend came to Los Angeles in the middle 70s, soon after Lakewood sent their first Kolel to Los Angeles. Remember, it was 1974, somewhere around there. It was the middle 70s. Lakewood sends a Kolel to Los Angeles. It was a, not a game changer. It was a community changer. All of a sudden, things really started changing. And my friend calls the difference between when I lived in Los Angeles and he came to Los Angeles. Rabbi Karlinski lived in Los Angeles before Matan Torah. I came <laughs> after Matan Torah. Okay, that was right. When I grew up, there was one kosher restaurant in Los Angeles. Anybody who's been to Los Angeles now knows that um, you probably have 30 just on Pico Boulevard. There's 100. Okay? That was all because of the... All of a sudden, the Limud Torah took hold in the community, and that was a game changer. And we've seen that over and over again. That's why um, in both Lakewood and Chaim Berlin, their agenda in the 70s, how are we going to spread Torah... How are we going to amplify religiosity in the United States? I should point out that in the 1960s, there was a big machlokas between sociologists. I've mentioned this many times because I remember having a whole discussion in B'nai Akiva about it when the article came out. A big It was in Time Magazine. A big machlokas among the sociologists. Orthodox Judaism. Is it going to disappear in this desk decade or will it last into the next decade and then disappear? That was the machlokas. So, the, both Lakewood and Chaim Berlin realized, what are we going to do? And their solution was community kololim. They started sending groups of Avrechim to various cities, and in every city that they came, that was the game changer. Limut Torah. This is what's being alluded to when Aaron is being told, the korbanos, when there's a base on Migdash, there'll be korbanos. When there isn't, there won't be korbanos, there'll be tefillah, but that has limited impact. Mitzvos and, and tefillah, very important. Every, every Jew has to do it. But the communal impact of that is incomparable towards the impact of the menorah, the impact of limut Torah. Limut Torah, there was a, there's a book by a cosmologist named Penrose, so it's a, a, a pretty firm scientist. The mind of God. He goes through cosmology and physics to show... Uh, he's not from, but the mind of God. That's, that's the title of the book. Limut Torah enables you to get in somehow or other kiviyochol to the mind of God. When you study Torah, you probably picked up already that information transfer is not really accomplished well when you study Gomorrah. Not a very effective way for information transfer. The impact of Gomorrah is process, epistemology. You are getting the source for Jewish knowledge. How do we know what we know? How do we think Jewish? Lima Torah is thinking Jewish. And it changes you. You've got to grow with it. One of the psukim in this week's parsha comes up later also. Al pi Hashem yachanu, the al pi Hashem yisau. 
The Jewish people are instructed by God when to camp, when to, when to break camp. Sometimes they were there for a day. Sometimes they were there for three months. Al pi Hashem yachanu, al pi Hashem yiso. Rabbi Chaim Shulevitz has a whole schmooze on this. Many of the Bali Musr. What's the lesson there? You do things, al pi Hashem. You camp, you stop, you sit, you get involved in something, al pi Hashem. Yiso, time to move on, next step. While you're in yeshiva, that's a yachanu. You leave the yeshiva, go out to a career, that's yisau. You get married, you're building a family, that could be yachanu. There are going to be communal responsibilities, that's yisau. But the key always has to be al pi Hashem. You have to decide when to camp. You have to decide when to move. Al pi Hashem. How do I know what Hashem wants? How are we supposed to know? That's where Limut Torah gives you an insight to Ratzon Hashem. I'm always asked, so how do I know what God wants from me? And I always have, there are two things you have to know if you want to figure out what God wants from you. The first thing you have to know is you. Do you know yourself? That's the first thing you got to know. The second thing you got to know is Torah. So if you know you and you know Torah, you can figure out what God wants from you. That's Alpi Hashem Yachru Alpi Hashem Yisol, the Alpi Hashem. It's buried away and it's uncovered in your Limut Torah. There is a shocking Gomorrah in Sanhedrin. Maral talks about it, explains it, it needs explanation. Quotes a Pasuk in Mishlei. Noef Isha Chaser Lev. The Pasuk makes perfect sense. A person who is adult, has an adulterous relationship with a woman, he lacks heart. He has no lave. Yeah, that's a pretty telling you how bad adultery is. Noef Isha could be called sleeping around. It's a, okay. um, as opposed to marriage. Marriage is not Noef Isha, but it's, you've got one wife. And that's your, that's your solidity. Says the Gemara, Noef Isha Chaser Lev, Zehalomed Torah Lifrakim. It's a person who learns Torah occasionally, intermittently. Now, if we would have asked you guys, you guys are going to go back, you're going to leave Yeshiva, and you want to try to, whenever you have a chance, learn Torah. Whenever I have a chance, I'm going to learn Torah. Says the Gemara, and the Maral elaborates on this, we'll explain in a minute. That's Noef Isha, Chaser Lev, Lome Torah Lefrakim. Occasionally, when I have a chance, I'll learn Torah. Haphazardly, coincidentally. Says the Maral, what does that have to do with Noef Isha? A person who's married, says the Maral, he has a wife. When he visits, when he frequents prostitution, Every, you know, whatever comes, whatever happens, whatever I want, whatever, whenever, there's no solidity, there's no stability. What's your relationship with Torah? Marriage is a commitment. Noef Isha means, the Maral says, a person can be doing exactly the same activities with his wife, as he's doing with a prostitute. What's the difference? One is commitment, 
and one is haphazard, one is coincidental, one is whenever, whenever. A person can have a relationship with Torah that's commitment, and a person can have a relationship with Torah that's haphazard. And two people can do, be doing exactly the same thing. They can be sitting in exactly the base medrash, learning exactly the same thing. But one of them is doing it with commitment, whether it's koveya itim la Torah, I'm doing this out of commitment, or I'm doing this out of convenience, it happens to work out. Says the Maral, that's the difference. And that's chaser leiv, means the essence is missing. The relationship is missing goes even further. He says this, that a person who treats a woman, no eighth isha, not with commitment, it's degrading for the woman. It's degrading. I don't need to elaborate. I'm sure you know how this works. It's a degradation for women. Says the Maharal, when you relate to Torah like that, it's a degradation of the Torah. It's it's compared to this idea of degrading the Torah, that it's when it's convenient. When I enjoy it, when I have a chance, that that lacks commitment. We mentioned this on Shavuos. Kafa Harkegigis, Maral's explanation of why we needed Kafahar Kegigis after there was Naseh the Nishma. Torah is imperative. Torah has, you have to realize that Torah is in this world not as an optional choice, even though we can choose, we have free will, we can choose yes and we can choose no, but it doesn't mean that we are avoiding the natural consequences of reality. Torah in the world is an imperative, it's a reality. And therefore, we have to relate to Torah, says the Maharal. We have to relate to Torah, not as something optional, not as something that's just voluntary, but we have to relate to Torah as an imperative. One of the phrases I don't like, that I see floating around a lot, I'm going to live a Torah lifestyle. What's wrong with that sentence? Torah is not a lifestyle. There's lots of lifestyles. Torah is life. And you've got to live and you've got to relate to Torah not as a choice in lifestyles, but as life. But as life. Something along that, would you say that breathing is a lifestyle? I'm a, I'm a breather lifestyle. My lifestyle is breathing. Okay? You know, my lifestyle is to eat. You can have a lifestyle of eating healthy or not eating healthy. Okay, yeah, that could be a lifestyle. But you've got to view it, it's life. It's imperative. That's how you have to relate to Torah. And we see again, now, now we go back to both on the communal level and on the individual level. Communities thrived when there was serious limut Torah. An individual can only thrive when he has a serious limut Torah. It has to be with commitment. With Rabbi Shoshan, he was here earlier. He said, "What's the, when you're choosing a Jewish community and you want to know how serious the orthodoxy is, he says, look at what time the latest Mayriv is. 
Okay, you know, there's some places the latest Mayrav is, you know, at best 20 minutes after Shkia. Sometimes in the summer they have to make it 20 minutes, right after Plaga Mincha. When's the latest Mayrav? And I realized that when I was growing up, Mayrav, you know, there was a handful of people, Mincha Mayrav, at, 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 at one shul. And, uh, I mean, today there's like, you know, all over the place. But a Mayrav at 10, 11 o'clock? Like, unheard of. Today there is in all of the serious communities. But I believe it only came because of the night kololim. Because Balabatim started learning at night. Kololim started having starm at night. Now all of a sudden there's a demand for an 11 o'clock Mayrav. So even the 11 o'clock Mayrav, which is the litmus test for a serious Orthodox community, it really emanates from the, the anchor of it is the Limut Torah. So when you're choosing a community, you've got to ask yourself either where's the, the how much Limut Torah is going on, and Baruch Hashem, there's lots of communities, or there's no, you know, there, there, there is a place to live, quote, out of town in small communities, but then you have to be one of the people that's bringing Limut Torah to that community. You have to have your own Limut Torah solidified, and, one, and the impact you can have is by bringing that Limud Torah to another community. So one of the things you're doing in yeshiva is equipping yourself to do that. That's Al-Pi Hashem Yachanu, but then there's going to be an Al-Pi Hashem Yisau, and one of the things you've got to think about when you're deciding where to go, when to go, how to go, is Al-Pi Hashem, is what does HaKadosh Baruch Hu want, and the anchor always has to be the anchor of Limud Torah. This becomes even more important than it ever was because of the confusion, corrosion of what used to be known as Judeo-Christian values. The whole society is completely disintegrating and we need that anchor of values. And the last thing we'll say is that Limut Torah anchors you in authentic Torah values. If you just want to live a lifestyle of orthodoxy, there's no anchor for those values. And you're very susceptible and very vulnerable to having your your value system completely corroded by a surrounding society. Limut Torah keeps you anchored. It keeps your value system anchored. Beyond your Judaism and your your Jewish practice, it also keeps your value system because when you're studying Torah, again, we're getting in to the mind of the Almighty. Kiviyochel. You're learning to think Jewish. So, you're here to learn as much Torah as you can, but you've got to assimilate the idea that the foundation, that when Aaron was worried that he's not at the same, he's not doing as much as the Nesim who bring Korbanos, the Kodesh Baruch Hu says, no, Shalcha Yoser. What you're doing is much more important because it's going to last beyond the Mishkan, beyond the Beis Amikdash. It's going to be the eternal anchor of the Jewish people. That's the menorah, that's Limut Torah, both your personal anchor and the anchor of every community you're going to belong to.